This is Radio Sustain, a bi-weekly journal of fair trade, resilient rural communities, safe food, and a healthy environment. Brought to you by IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. This edition of Radio Sustain is for Monday, June 19, 2006. I'm Matthew Foster at IATP in Minneapolis. Today, Ben Lilliston talks with Jim Kleinschmidt, director of IATP's Rural Communities Program, about making the emerging bio-based economy sustainable for rural America. We take a look at the Sow the Seeds Fund, a new IATP partnership with the Wedge Co-op in Minneapolis that promises to help support family farmers in the Twin Cities area. Tyson Acker pays a visit to Town Hall Brewery in Minneapolis, where they're releasing their new Mocha Java Double Brown Ale, a beer made with fairly traded coffee. But first, Karen Smaller joins us from ITP's Trade Information Project office in Geneva with an update on the World Trade Organization's Doha Round. Director of the Trade Information Project of the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy in Geneva. Hi, Karen. Hi, Ben. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if uh, you can walk us through the next few weeks at the World Trade Organization negotiations. There's a lot going on. We're told uh, in the media that that there's real deadlines. That we're at a make-or-break time in. Uh, WTO negotiations. So uh, what exactly is going to happen over the next three weeks? Well, I think as you correctly point out, there's a lot of activity going on. It's very, very busy here in Geneva. Um, A lot of deadlines set um, for various moments in the next month. And I think what we're going to see happening is, is particularly Pascal Lamy, the WTO Director General, really eager to get this this round finished this year, and so he's invited ministers from a few of the key countries, and it's around 25 to 30 countries. Ministers will be descending on Geneva at the end of June to see whether they can muster up the political will to conclude um, the Doha round of negotiations. Um, If that fails, which is looking increasingly likely, um, he will try again in July to bring some ministers to town um, to try and reach agreement. But for the next few months, for sure, every effort is being taken to try and finish this round in the year 2006 um, and to reform the existing um, trading system. Now, this round has been going on since, I mean, it began in 2001. They've missed a number of deadlines. And you know, maybe you could explain to people who are not uh, in Geneva in the nitty-gritty of what's going on. Why have are they unable to reach agreement? What are the major disputes uh, in the Doha round? Well, I think the reality about the Doha round is that the whole premise of the round, which was about um, addressing development needs, food security needs, livelihood concerns of the poorest people 
um, has just not been met. And the whole premise of this round has been wrong-headed. Um, and I think there is an increasing realization of this. And even major institutions like the World Bank and the UN are suddenly coming out with studies that say, hang on a second, we thought this round would lift millions of people out of poverty, but we're noticing now that in fact that's not going to happen and that in fact most of the benefits will accrue to exporters in rich countries. There are a few um, bigger developing countries like China and Brazil where some small exporters in those countries might gain a little bit, but that by and large the poorest are going to come off worse and Africa in particular is going to come off worse. And so I think the realization of this means that it's a lot harder to sell this round to the people of the world who are becoming more and more aware of what the impacts of these trade rules are on their livelihood. Having said that, there are also lots of exporters who are also unhappy because they see this round full of rhetoric about development and food security, and their interests are to expand their markets globally. And they don't feel like there's enough for them um, on the current, with the current negotiations to basically give them the, the new markets that they were hoping would come out of a, a round of trade negotiations. Now, um, in the early days of the WTO, it was often... You know, the U.S. and the EU would get together and kind of negotiate a deal and then see if they could get the other countries to go along with it. And that seems to have changed a lot in the last five or six years. And uh, could you talk more about the developing countries' role in the negotiations and how important it's, it has become? I think what we've seen um, in the last few years has really been a gradual shift in the power imbalances that have plagued this institution since its um, establishment. Karen Smaller is program officer for the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy's Trade Information Project in Geneva. Get up-to-date information about the World Trade Organization's negotiations at tradeobservatory.org. I'm Ben Lilliston. I'm here today with Jim Kleinschmidt, Director of the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy's Rural Communities Program. Jim is co-author of Biofuels or Bust, How We Can Make the Bioeconomy Sustainable for Farmers and the Land, an article that appears in the latest edition of Ag Matters magazine. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Thanks for having me, Ben. In the article, you say there is a major transition underway in the United States where farmers and rural communities are linking their futures very closely to the new bioeconomy. What kind of opportunities are there in this kind of transition? I think there's fantastic opportunities for, for the environment, for farmers and rural communities, and for society at large. Um, shifting out of the petroleum dependence and all of the pollution impacts and extra costs associated with that is one place that we look at. But beyond that, really we're looking at sourcing our materials from the land and from the farmers and the rural communities that we depended upon for centuries, but now we can turn back to for, um, for the very food, feed, and fuel we need. How do we ensure that the benefits of this new bioeconomy stay in rural communities and are not just 
uh, sucked up by large multinational corporations. What we're starting to see is a larger um, investment by corporations, while prior to this it really had been a farmer-owned sector. Um, so that right there takes some of that money that would have circulated in the local economy and gives it to the absentee owners of the corporations. I think that's one of the first areas, but then beyond, the, the huge demand and focus on production really can mute the other kind of benefits we can get from a biofuel industry, which are improving our environment by bringing other crops and other materials out on the landscape, just, you know, despite you know, the kind of corn and soybean kind of monocultures we have now, and then also um, giving this new economic opportunity to these communities that have been struggling for so many years with low farm prices and a farm policy that really does not promote um, rural development. How do we encourage the use of other crops in the system? Because a lot, there's a big concern, I think, from a lot of environmentalists is, are we just going to be growing more corn and, and, and all the environmental harm that that's been causing over the last several decades? And we've already seen the environmental impacts of corn for the last decades, and we're seeing it in our rivers, we're seeing it in the Gulf of Mexico, we're seeing it in our groundwater, we're seeing it in the soil that blows away, and then we're seeing it in the consolidation that's happening in the farmland. So. I think what we have to do is have a policies and investments that really push us to that next level of bioindustrial development, which is really getting away from grains and oil seeds and moving over to cellulosic crops and being able to capture the materials and the, the biomass that's in there and use that to make our fuels and our energy. What do you see as the next steps for making the bioeconomy more sustainable, both from the private sector and from government and public policy? There's three real points we have to hit here. We need to make sure that as the facilities are being built, and especially when they're receiving government assistance, there's a focus on community and farmer ownership. We have to keep the ownership local, as well as the actual feedstock production, that is, you know, the crops and the materials that go in there. It doesn't get us off of, it doesn't get us off of our dependence on foreign sources of energy if we're importing either the ethanol or the grains that are used for that. Even if we manage that, unless we have some sort of a standard system in place for the production of these crops that put, promote sustainability and environmental performance in the production, we're not going to get there. Jim Kleinschmidt is director of the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policies Rural Communities Program. Co-op in Minneapolis is the largest single-store food co-op in the country. With the support of its members, the Wedge regularly makes financial donations to local organizations working to strengthen local food systems. Earlier this year, Barth Anderson of the Wedge Research and Development Team came up with a remarkable new way to allow non-Wedge members to also contribute to local farmers. The Wedge is partnered with the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy to start the Sow the Seeds Fund. To find out how the program works, we met with Barth in one of the Wedge's small offices above the market. People who are members of the co-op get a patronage refund. That's part of the definition of what a cooperative is. So you're part of this cooperative, and at the end of the fiscal year, based on what you bought during that year, you get a small percentage back depending on, on how profitable the cooperative was. Co-ops all over the country do that much. 
um, what we're doing is basically assigning a member number to sow the seeds so that people can buy make purchases under that membership number and so the patronage refund is going into sow the seeds so it's very democratic it's very you know across across the lines where people can just decide okay I'll decide rather than using my member number or if you're not a member you can use this member number but you can take what would have been your patronage refund and apply it to sow the seeds and so over time you know you're kind of nickel and diming into the fund uh, that way there's there's just incredible buy-in from from lots of different people who uh, who can feel like you know with every single purchase they make at the wedge whether it's lettuce or milk or whatever that um, that they're helping farmers and helping to preserve Minnesota Get more information about the Sow the Seeds Fund at SowTheSeedsFund.org. If you stop by Town Hall Brewery in Minneapolis on the right day, you might be surprised to find a standing room only crowd in the middle of the week. And if you look around, you'll notice that everybody is drinking pints of something really dark. If you're lucky, you've just walked into the release party of another Peace Coffee beer. Started in 1996, Peace Coffee is a 100% certified fair trade and organic coffee company. They buy raw coffee beans from farmer cooperatives in Mexico, Colombia, Guatemala, Ethiopia, and Indonesia, and roast them here in Minneapolis before packaging them and distributing them to coffee shops and grocery stores across the country. I found Andy Lambert, Peace Coffee's event and outreach coordinator, at the release of their latest collaboration with Town Hall to get an idea of the principles behind the coffee. As most commodity uh, prices go throughout the world marketplace, coffee in the conventional market experiences a lot of fluctuations. High prices at one time and then low prices at another time in, in the year. And for small coffee farmers, when the prices get low, uh, the impacts, the negative impacts on those small farmers are pretty severe. So what Fair Trade does is um, it establishes a minimum price that the coffee farmers can guarantee that they're going to get per pound of coffee. Um, Peace Coffee supports this and since 96 it's been 100% committed to fair trade uh, purely based on the mission and, and the purpose of empowering small coffee farmers around the world to take more control over their lives, to have more of an impact and uh, more participation in the coffee marketplace worldwide. But how do you get from fair trade coffee to a Mocha Java double brown ale? I talked with Town Hall's head brewer Mike Hoops to find out. Uh, I actually went over to the roastery on a couple of different occasions and, they, and we went through their different coffees, did cuppings and, and so on and so forth and, and uh, they actually developed a couple of different roasts for different beers that we're making. The Stout and the Porter that we've done um, really highlighted the Peace Coffee product. Um, it was it was a nice beer that it was all about the coffee. Uh, this particular one is a little bit different. Um, it's designed to be uh, like if you order a mocha at, a, at your local coffee house. So take your pick. A cup of fair trade coffee with your morning newspaper or a pint of fair trade coffee beer with several hundred of your closest friends after work. Either way, you're helping small farmers around the world make a living and stay on their land. For Radio Sustain, I'm Tyson Acker. Quando estou aqui com você assim, e o silêncio faz.
me Radio Sustain is a project of IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Find us on the web at iatp.org. Radio Sustain is produced by Ben Liston. Tyson Acker is our engineer. Today's music is Divided Beliefs by Tyson Emanuel. I've Got a Secret by Robin Stein from her album Daydream. And Beja Flor from the album The Winter Songs by Uma Floresta. Join us again on Monday, July 1st for the next edition of Radio Sustain, a journal of fair trade, resilient rural communities, safe food, and a healthy environment. I'm Matthew Foster. Thanks for listening. Se 